Welcome to eHacker Health, the podcast providing digital and community resources to help women optimize their health. I'm your host, Dr. Kat Andrews. everyone, this is Dr. Kat Andrews and welcome to eHacker Health, the podcast that explores how tech can optimize women's health and improve her overall well-being. So I want to thank you for joining me. I'm so happy that you're here. This is our introductory episode. So I thought it would be good to kind of take a closer look for this episode just at women's health, what it is, uh, because really it's a subject that's obviously important to about 50% of the world's population, yet women's health is not only underfunded and under-researched, but always seems to be up for political debate. So today, we're going to kind of leave all that chaos behind and try to answer some important questions like, what is women's health? Why is women's health a unique healthcare topic? Uh, what does reproductive health encompass, right? What's included in that? And what services are available to support women's uh, mental health services? All right. So let's get into it. Um, if you're a woman or you have an important woman in your life, right? Like your mother, your daughter, your auntie, your sister, then women's health should be important to you. Why? Because women's health, on top of just being this very unique topic, um, but because women face some very unique healthcare challenges throughout uh, our lives, right? From puberty through menstruation, childbearing, and to menopause and postmenopause. So, reproductive health is vast and complex for women, even more so if you don't have access to proper resources like sexual health or health education and contraceptives. So we also have a higher rate of certain healthcare issues such as breast cancer and autoimmune disease. So it's important for us as women to learn how to prioritize our health, get the proper health care that we need. Um, and the earlier we learn how to do this, the better. So here is the first question to kind of ask, right? What is women's health? Right. So women's health refers to a branch of healthcare that focuses on the unique medical and wellness needs of women. Now, typically we are talking about heterosexual or straight women who were assigned, you were assigned a woman at birth, right? So I mentioned this because the focus of women's health is re reproductive health for this group. Um, but there's also other things to consider beyond reproductive health, right? That includes things like hormonal imbalance, breast and breast and cervical cancer, uh, heart disease and mental health issues. These are all issues that women across ethnic and cultural lines, as well as queer women, 
have to deal with. However, of course, the experience that women have navigating various services vary greatly from negative and harmful to very inclusive and proactive. So for us as women to meet our needs, we often have to seek out information sometimes from other women in our community, maybe other women in our household. We may look at alternative models to see what is available. And we also may be really selective about the information that we decide to disclose when we're trying to find an effective healthcare provider, right, who can meet our needs. And really, this can be dependent on a woman's social circle and economic advantage, as well as the political climate that she lives in. So at the end of the day, though, women's health is really about us being able to access right care that will look at everything that affects us across the lifespan. With that said, let's try to answer some questions um, about like what factors are included in women's health and the kind of the services available. So the factors that influence our health as women include things like genetics, lifestyle choices, so things smoking and drinking habits, uh, living in an urban or metropolitan area versus the suburbs, and socioeconomic status. Sexual orientation and gender identity, um, such as if someone identifies as non-binary and say pansexual and has a vagina, can, uh, it's hard to kind of neatly check into one of the medical model boxes, right? If you ask somebody if they're male or female and if they're married, there's an assumption she's married to someone of the opposite uh, sex or opposite gender, Um, But again, we're kind of looking at what services are part of a woman's health, a woman who has who was assigned female at birth. Right. So that's that's where I'm going to go with this. So I want to break it down into kind of four categories. Right. There's primary care, reproductive care, mental health and then gender based violence. Um, which isn't specifically a service, but it's one that I definitely feel needs to be addressed just because when it comes to gender-based violence, it's typically against women and obviously it massively impacts a woman's health. So first one, primary care. This is where healthcare journey really typically begins for most of us. Uh, I have the advantage of being raised by a mother who was a nurse and also just having a really curious mind. So I felt pretty good and pretty comfortable navigating healthcare services. But I have seen throughout my career, but even just with my girlfriends who really struggle with uncertainty and sometimes doubt about how to go about getting services and what exactly primary care is. So in a nutshell... Primary care is for preventative care, but it's also for treatment of short and long-term illnesses. So you are assigned a GP or general practitioner. In some cases, you may have an internal medicine doctor, which is what I have, who is basically kind of your principal contact or your gatekeeper into healthcare services. They take care of your needs. And if it is something beyond their scope of practice or their expertise, and they'll refer you to a specialist, right? This in general will kind of, sorry, (laughs) let me back up. In general, when you are dealing with primary care, 
the common concerns for women that are handled by this particular department and by your GP are things like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, headaches and migraines, mammograms, those kind of things. As we get older and we start to deal with more muscle and skeletal pains or problems, things like arthritis or maybe mental issues such as memory issues or even bladder and disease management, um, think HPV or if there's a sexually transmitted infection, all of those things can actually be handled by primary care. Right. So that's what happens in that first category of really a lot of services take place within the primary care department. But the next question is, so kind of dealing with the next category is what does reproductive care encompass when we're talking about women's health? This one is probably one of the most significant health concerns for women. Um, it includes things like, of course, our menstruation and period health and pregnancy, but it also includes family planning services as well as emergency contraceptives, birth control counseling, and any procedural services. And it also should include, right, as you go through it and you look at all of your services laid out, things like maternity care coordination, which I feel is extremely vital for black and brown women in the United States, particularly black women, where the uh, maternal death rate is really staggering and heartbreaking. It kind of shines a light on the structural and systemic biases and racism in the United States healthcare. So besides having, you know, the importance of having maternity care coordination, there's also sex health education, breastfeeding and lactation. Uh, if you are having fertility issues, there's this is where in terms of reproductive health, you'd be dealing with IVF services in vitro, uh, any hormone issues. And of course, the good old pap smear, which is always kind of an uncomfortable kind of topic, I think, especially amongst young women uh, and probably some older ones too. But it is an important part of women's health, um, not just because, yes, you want to have a healthy, you know, vagina and cervical area and all of that, but you also want to be able to test for things like endometriosis, which is really common among young girls between, or I should say young women, um, starting between like 18, as young as 18. So between 18 and 30, there I think are reported 3 million cases are diagnosed every year. So it's a pretty common concern amongst women, um, as well as PCOS, right? Polycystic um, ovarian syndrome. So these, this is where, when you're talking about reproductive care, that's where you're going to see those services. Also gynecological cancers, such as ovarian and cervical cancer. So treatment for these conditions, you know, services for these conditions, the PCOS, the endometriosis, um, the higher concerns like cancer, but also uh, dealing with lactation and maternity care. Um, all of this will fall under reproductive care, um, which is why it's good to have a great OBGYN, somebody who you feel comfortable with, who can really give you the information and somebody you feel you can ask questions to. So I'll get a little bit more into that too about OBGYN services um, and later on in this. But another question, right, we want to answer uh, is 
the the answer or the the question with regards to services that are available to support women's mental health because just as important as a woman's physical health is obviously her mental and emotional health as well because mental health uh, concerns or crisis can affect our quality of life they affect our relationships with other people they affect our work and academic performance and how we feel about ourselves, right? Our self-worth and self-regard. So mental health services should include things like counseling for depression. Uh, that includes postpartum depression, anxiety, grief, bereavement, uh, PTSD, workplace burnout, substance abuse or misuse, and suicide prevention, to name a few, right? Mental health is especially important for young women as they transition into adulthood. Uh, there are so many influences today, you know, particularly with social media, that there's these mixed messages that go out. There's disinformation. There's just straight up wrong information and a lot of false expectations. Um, but there's also growing evidence that older women in their senior years are at risk for depression and anxiety as well due to different ailments and diseases they may be experiencing, uh, increased, social, increased social isolation, especially if their family, their immediate family has moved away um, or if a loved one, apart, if they're single um, at an early age or excuse me, at a later age in life and being single or widowed, right? Having lost a loved one or a partner has passed away and they're still they're still here and not having the social support, right? Which can lead to the depression and anxiety. I strongly advocate for mental health services for girls when they're in high school and college um, because they're dealing with so many things. You know, we, we hear the news, we see it, but on top of things like peer pressure and bullying and gun violence, there's also academic burnout that high school and college age girls are experiencing as well as body image issues. So being able to um, have access to mental health services is really important for all of us, but I think particularly when you are in your younger years. There's also uh, the idea to or services that should be provided uh, for women who are in the military who have been a victim of military sexual assault, right? And actually any woman who's been a victim of any type of violence, and I'll get into that kind of in the next in the next question answer, right? But I wanted to address specifically women in the military as that is one of those big concerns of MST or military sexual uh, violence. Right. So this will lead into another important question that uh, is hard yet necessary to address. And that is how do women access kind of care and support for gender gender based violence? Right. Women are at a higher risk for violence and abuse um, that can cause a myriad right, of health issues. There's the immediate trauma that is caused by physical abuse. Uh, same thing, immediate trauma that can be emotional scars that happens when a woman is a victim of uh, physical, verbal, and psychological violence. That's the immediate, right? That you can kind of see in the trauma that you may see as well as the bruises. Uh, 
There is also chronic health issues that happen as a result of gender-based violence. This includes panic attacks, headaches, insomnia, attention deficit issues, and again, substance uh, use or misuse or abuse. And in a later episode, we'll talk a little bit more about gender-based violence. Uh, But for now, know that abuse and violence towards women comes in many forms. There is the physical abuse, but there's also verbal abuse or violence. This includes hate speech. There is psychological violence and abuse, which looks like isolating someone, right? The, The continuous isolation, isolating a woman from her friends and family and also gaslighting. Um, There's domestic abuse or what is now also called intimate partner violence, which can be experienced, unfortunately, throughout the lifespan, right, from exposure at childhood through our senior years. There's also sexual violence, which is another one that can be um, that someone could experience across the lifespan. And this includes coercion as well as sexual harassment. And another one that sometimes not as talked about, but just as important is socioeconomic or financial abuse. And this is where you are, you know, taken where a person has uh, financial support either taken away from them or there's the withholding of money and resources from someone. And it's not just... um, women who may be dependent on their partner that may experience this, even if the woman is making more money than her partner or even a family member, because it's not just a, again, not, this is not something that just happens between intimate partners. This can happen with a parent. This could happen with a sibling where even if she is the breadwoman, uh, the breadwinner, it doesn't eliminate the threat Um, as the perpetrator may be in control of her accounts or is monitoring what she's spending and really putting a lot of pressure when it comes to finance and things of that nature. So I wanted to mention this particularly because any of us at any time can be exposed and become a victim of gender-based violence. So it's important to know that when these things happen, to be able to contact your Uh, GP or your general practitioner to kind of seek out services. If you're not sure how to do it, you can always go to your primary care doctor and let them know that you would like a referral, right, to access these services. This is where being able to just know that you can access services and how to access services is really important so that you can get the care that you need um, emotionally, physically, as well as, well as psychologically to start healing. Okay. Ooh, heavy topic. So we'll take a minute to breathe on that because it is a lot to take in uh, and to kind of just have some grace about this uh, and know that, okay, it's there. I'm kind of aware of it. And I ideally have an idea of what at least the next step could be, particularly when you're exposed to gender-based violence, okay? Now, with all of that, the question is, all right, Kat gave us all this information, so where do we start? How do I even figure out primary care? 
maybe you want to look at something else, right? Maybe you're not dealing with something as heavy as harassment or abuse. You may be dealing with something else that could be minor, but it's still an issue or a concern for you. And the good thing about this is that you can actually start today. You can start right now um, pulling out a pen and paper. In fact, I encourage you, grab your mom, grab your sister, grab your bestie. And what you want to do is start putting together a woman's health checklist. What you would put on here is things like what's important to you, uh, figuring out kind of what's going on right now and what you'd like to tackle. And... Then from there, we can figure out how to get started. So I'm going to I'm gonna give an example. I'm actually going to leave in the show notes as well a link to one of my favorite places. They're super resourceful, and that's New York Presbyterian Hospital. They have a women's uh, board in terms of that tells you all these different things about doulas and all that. But for now, we're going to start with a simple checklist. And I really like the checklist that they have because it goes through the lifespan, which I think is important because as women... We are usually dealing with other women or females across the lifespan. So it could be our niece who is only 13 years old. It could be our mom who, you know, is maybe 20 plus years our senior. It could be our grandma. It could be an auntie or it could just be your best friend. So looking at from puberty in our teenage years all the way up to, you know, postmenopausal in our golden girl years, what does that exactly look like? So let's, let's break this down. So for example, as a teenager, you know, 15, 16, 18 years old, this is when girls should really be introduced to things like OBGYN services. So while they won't need a pap smear or a pelvic exam, right? They're, they're not, they're too young for that. Having the introduction at an earlier age to OBGYN services, they can start to learn about period health. They can ask questions about painful periods, learn about HPV. They can um, learn about things like contraceptive counseling as well as um, abstinence. All of this stuff, can, they can get very factual clinical information about safe sex, safe sex and about abstaining from sex. Uh, they can also ask questions about hormones and, you know, if they have questions about sexual identity because there's so much going on. And again, you don't want the TikToks and the Facebooks of the world giving them any information. So if they want a place to be able to talk to someone during confusing times, and Lord knows it's so much better to be able to talk to a medical professional to get this information than some teenage boy or girl who is just as dumb and as confused as they are. So this is why it's a really great time to introduce, right, OBGYN services so they can ask these questions and really get some good information and feel it and know and start to feel comfortable within the healthcare space, right? Know when things aren't going right how to advocate for themselves. So not a lot of us got that exposure. I know amongst my friends, I was one of the few who got that. But again, I think having the privilege of having a mother who was a nurse gave me that advantage and I'm really grateful for it. So if you didn't have that advantage, it's okay. You can start right now, right? About getting kind of clinical facts about things like, again, if we're looking at teens, right? How do I reduce sexually transmitted diseases? So let's let's jump in from um, your teenage years into moving into childbearing years. This is in your 
20s and 30s. And this is when, as women, we also start identifying high risk factors for disease if this hasn't been done yet. Uh, so whether the high risk is for things like obesity or diabetes, if there's a family history of heart disease, this is when these things are really starting to, you get questions about this. If you probably remember going in filling out those like medical questionnaires, this is why, right? Also at this age, it's, it's about reducing sexually transmitted diseases since typically in your 20s and 30s, you're highly sexually active or can be. Um, engaging in, in sexual, more sexual behaviors. So how do we at this age reduce sexually transmitted disease? Um, it's also a good time and it can be relevant for some to start engaging in family planning. Um, whether you want to start a family, if you don't want to start a family, if you're not interested in having kids, this is all the time that those things kind of start getting worked out. This is also a time as women that we start engaging and start doing breast exams and pelvic exams, which I think are about every three years, right? And so as we mature on and move out of our 30s into our 40s and 50s, this is where perimenopause kind of starts to come about. And again, a good OBGYN is always what we need, right? So we can talk about the symptoms that we're having, whether it's mood swings or hot flashes or whatever the heck is going on. This is the time to really be able to speak with a medical professional about this, right? It's also the same time that we start moving into yearly mammograms. I myself am in my 40s. I actually do two mammograms a year. I've been identified as somebody at risk for breast cancer. Um, so I actually have it on my calendar. I do a mammogram in May and I do one in November. So this is about that time that you start doing this. You also start, you know, those annual blood work things to check for, you know, blood sugar levels, cholesterol and all that good jazz. Right. Um, and you're also going to start for women, start getting uh, screened for heart disease, hypertension, and again, breast cancer. Uh, and this is important. I'm, I'm kind of pointing this out that this is important because this is another one for all women but particularly for black women when it comes to things like heart disease because black women are more likely to die following a heart attack than any other group so absolutely if you are a woman of color if you are a black woman um, but particularly any woman you really need to know a little bit more about your history so when you go and do these screenings you can be checked and we can start engaging in preventative care now as we slide out of our 50s into our 60s and 70s and up and what i call the golden girl years you're likely at this point postmenopausal. so while we no longer need a pap smear. You're still going to need to continue to do annual lab work. Um, always looking at if there's any additional risk factors, looking at family. Um, I know that this is also the time that things like arthritis and fractures kind of start to pop up as we get older and osteoporosis. I have an aunt who had hip fracture for sure. Um, but uh, I know from my particular medical history that my mother had a neurological issue. So while I'm not looking at any of that yet, thankfully, it is something that's kind of always on my radar as, you know, medicine gets more advanced and 
things they told us weren't genetic, really are genetic. So I look at that. So if you have a history of, let's say, high blood pressure, sickle cell, diabetes, any of these common things that really frequently pop up, talk with your doctor about it. You know, prevention is always better than trying to maintain something that you didn't want. Um, this is also the time, since I mentioned about, you know, heart health, that you really start getting usual cardiac screenings. I believe they're more regular when you're in your senior years. Um, as Of course, it depends on where you are in the lifespan. But yes, that's, that's what we're looking at in terms of cardiology screenings. Because women obviously progress through different life stages, our health concerns will obviously vary. But it's still important for all of us as sisters, as daughters, as mothers, as aunties, as grandmothers, to understand kind of the various health risks that we have, but also those that our loved ones have and could be potentially facing so that we can have the conversations that typically we don't have and create a space to be able to talk about them openly so you can face them together. Part of, I think, what's really important about women's health is having support, not taking all of this on for yourself. So being able to get support, but also being able to give support so that together you can face these things um, and also know what steps you need to maintain optimal health to reduce your risk for illness and disability. Okay. So that was a lot, but it's totally doable. I hope that, you know, if you need time to go back and listen to this again and catch pieces to pro to to kind of process it absolutely but just know that when it comes to women's health do not be afraid to ask questions seek out good resources look at reliable medical services and reliable medical uh, medical information we live in a day and age where there is tons of information online right but being able to know just start with your own healthcare provider and search their website is a really really good way to kind of just start okay so with that i love 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 to hear how you are utilizing your healthcare services and if your provider um your healthcare provider, you know, whatever clinic you go to, whatever physician you go to, if they have a lot of the things that we've talked about, if you've looked into any of these things, um, I'd also love to know your thoughts on what you believe is kind of the most important services for women's healthcare. I tried to go through a lot, but obviously it's not kind of include like it's not you know the 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 only things that I said today is all that's available I'm sure depending on where you are geographically things could be um niche to your area so I'd love to know what you feel is the most important service for women and what supports are you looking for in your own health care please feel free share your thoughts uh via email and social media and don't forget to subscribe until then have a great, great day and I will see you later. Bye.